When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Walking around the Schwein Museum in Stuttgart, Germany. As soon as I was looking at places to go in Stuttgart, Germany, I saw there was a museum dedicated to pigs. I was like, I have to go here because pigs are one of my favorite animals. But I'm looking on the walls and I'm currently in a room that is literally the walls are lined with little tiny pig figurines. Like everywhere I look, there's this big pig in front of me that has Mickey Mouse's painted on it. Pigs have been in our world for such a long time. They're so popular. They're kind of a big deal. So I thought, why not make an entire episode of Little Curiosities about pigs? So let's talk about it, shall we? Why, hello there, all you lovely curiosity enthusiasts. Welcome to my podcast, Little Curiosities. I am Kendall Long. I will be your host. And this podcast is coming from the Little Curiosities desk. I just put my desk together. I am so excited. I put all my books up. It's like a little inspiring space where I can paint, read, write, and put all these wonderful podcasts together for you. So really exciting space update for all of you who are interested in where I am doing this. I am no longer in my bathtub. Phew. Some of you out there listening might remember me from a certain reality show that passes out a certain type of flower, (coughs) roses, (coughs) bachelor. (laughs) And on that show, I was on a quest for love. But on this podcast, I'm on a whole new type of quest, the quest for knowledge. So I was also dubbed on this show as the crazy taxidermy girl. And what a lot of you may not know is that although I do collect dead animals, that is a fact, I prefer alive ones. So much so that I have made it my dedicated hobby to study all about them. And one of my absolute favorite animals, believe it or not, are pigs. So I'm very excited to talk about them today. Here in Germany, pigs are also a really big deal, but not because they like to see them scampering around in farms, though that is definitely a thing, but Germans love to eat pigs. I I go to the grocery store here and they're is like a huge refrigerated aisle full of sausage, full of pork products. It's so insane. Like I never thought this many sausages existed or this many forms of pig existed. And to be honest, I've only tried about two different kinds of sausages here, maybe three. And uh, bacon is still very much an American thing. In Germany, they do sell bacon, but All the locals will say, bacon, that's an American food. That's something that America brought to Germany. So on top of all their pork products, now they also have bacon, thanks to America. They're just the country of pig. So much so that it inspired this episode because, yes, Stuttgart, Germany, where I live, does have a pig museum, and I went to visit, and that got me thinking. I love pigs so much, I want to have an entire episode about pigs, so I researched my little heart out, and here we are. And guess what? I thought I knew a lot about pigs. That is, until I started researching for this episode, because it turns out pigs got a whole lot more going on than I realized. In this episode, I'll cover hogs that don't fly but get high, pig potties that will leave you disturbed and queasy, ugh, 
and how pigs were used to win battles. I know, it gets hog wild. Okay, that's the last dad joke, I promise. Well, I don't know, maybe I have more in this script. We'll see. (laughs) So let's get on with the episode because it's kind of a pig deal. Okay, I'm done, I swear. Did you know that Winston Churchill was a self-proclaimed pig fan? He once famously said, I am fond of pigs. Dogs look up to us. Cats look down on us. Pigs treat us as equals. And us humans seem to have a rather strong connection with pigs. There are quite a few movie and TV shows with lovable pig characters, from Pepe Pig, Piglet from Winnie the Pooh, The Muppets Miss Piggy, and Spider Pig from The Simpsons. Spider Pig, Spider Pig, does whatever a spider pig does. (laughs) And it's not surprising that people love pigs so much. Well, at least most people. As I'm sure you probably already know, pigs have a reputation of being playful, friendly, emotional, and intelligent creatures. They also supply us with bacon. Though, there is also a huge portion of the population that doesn't consume piggy products. But before we get into pork-eating taboos, I want to first talk about how my love of pigs began. And it is quite a story. My obsession with these little hands with legs started when I was just a wee little piglet myself. My brother had a birthday party where my parents had this glorious idea of renting a petting zoo. I'm still very much obsessed with petting zoos and will, to this day, rush to put a quarter into the bubblegum machine filled with that dusty animal feed and gladly and patiently wait behind a three-year-old for my turn to get my hands slobbered on by farm animals. In fact, I just did this the other day. I took my sister to this park that had a petting zoo, and I fed pigs, goats. Oh, the alpacas didn't really want the food, but I still hung out with some alpacas. It was a great day, all in all. But let's get back to the petting zoo that started it all. At this particular backyard birthday petting zoo, there were goats with goatees and curly, fluffy sheep and a black baby potbelly pig. Now, when I tell you I fell in love with a pig that day, I'm not even exaggerating, because I hogged that pig the whole time, only letting other children hold him under strict supervision, by me of course, and yes, I was that annoying child at the petting zoo, but as far as I was concerned, this was going to be my pet, and nothing was going to stop me from keeping it. When the petting zoo company started wrapping up their stall, I literally panicked. I was like, how can I keep this pig forever? I must never be separated from it. So I did what any normal six-year-old would do, I took the pig to my bedroom and proceeded to try to hide it under my bed. Real story, I can't make this up. But alas, my plans were foiled when my pig napping was discovered by my mom and the owner of the petting zoo who joked, Hey, we can sell them to you. They make great pets. But my mom was not having any ounce of it, and the pig was returned to the petting zoo, never to be seen again. But that did not stop my pig pet daydreams because teacup pigs. Fast forward 15 years, well into college, and I was still very much obsessed with pigs. That and the teacup pig pet craze was in full swing. I'm sure some of you remember that time in our recent history where multitudes of breeders swore up and down that their specific breed of itsy-bitsy curly-tailed cuteness was promised to get no bigger than a dog. And that thought of owning a wee piggy took over the daydreams of unsuspecting pig lovers everywhere, including myself. I was guilty of this. I confess, I was one of those people that had a whole Pinterest board solely dedicated to adorable images of baby pigs. Some nestled in boots, others posed on picnic blankets, basking in the sun. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase, plus get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com The obsession was still alive and thriving, but it all turned out to be much too good to be true. As I found out years later, teacup pigs are a lie. Yes, you heard me right. They are a complete lie. Because just like the mini pot belly baby pig I tried to steal at the petting zoo, they start out small, but inevitably, they will grow up to be hefty honkers. And you know what's even worse? The breeders who claimed to sell micro pigs knew it. There were reports of teacup breeders that would show the quote-unquote parents of the micropigs looking no bigger than a small Labrador at knee height, but in reality, those were just the younger pigs who had gained a whole lot more poundage before they were fully grown adults, like the real parents, probably hidden somewhere on the farm. Some of the worst teacup pig sellers even claimed their pigs would stay teacup-sized forever, but the truth behind the trend turns out to be pretty boorish. (laughs) I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, you have to get pretty used to me laughing at my own puns. All right, you've been warned. Much to my luck, I never did end up purchasing a teacup pig, though I was a lot closer than I'd like to admit. At one point, my roommate and I planned to go in on one together. But people who had believed the breeders and were now owners of these teacup pigs, quote, eventually found out the mini pig they were promised actually grew up to be a full-sized potbelly. There was this one man interviewed by Good Morning America who bought a guaranteed micro pig, or so said the breeder, which he named Esther. And when he took her to the vet, he found out he had actually purchased a commercial pig. For those of you that don't know what a commercial pig is, those are the ones that are bred to be consumed in factory farms. Bred to get big, like real big, not small. By her first birthday, Esther was a staggering 400 pounds. Fast forward a few years later during the time of the interview and his teacup pig had packed on another 200 pounds, making her a whopping 600 in total. Now that, my friends, is a very large pig. Definitely, definitely not a teacup. But by the time he found out, it was much too late because little Esther had already oinked her way into his heart, and it's lucky that she still has a loving home. But that is not the reality for a lot of other pet pigs who were abandoned by the thousands as they grew out of their lodgings. Others were starved in an attempt to keep them small because it turns out that there probably is no such thing as a micro pig after all, and their internet craze along with the breeders had everyone fooled. With the truth now becoming more and more obvious, the micropig fad came to an end. But, my dear loves, my love for pigs did not. Look, this episode isn't going to be all doom and gloom. If you do have enough space and know what you're getting into, having a pig pet can be great. 
They're incredibly intelligent, and just like a dog, they can learn to do a vast array of tricks. In fact, pig intelligence ranks them as one of the smartest animals in the world. They can play complex games, use tools, and recognize their own name. So let's dive a bit deeper into pig smarts. I came across a video of a pet pig named Nellie who performed a vast array of tricks on stage, from spelling the word ham, that's H-A-M, with wooden blocks, to putting a ball in a mini basketball hoop. Researchers guesstimate that a pig is about as intelligent as a three-year-old human. Although, I will point out that I often have an issue with measuring intelligence between species because it's often based off of the intelligence of our favorite organ, the brain, and us humans claim to be at the top of the smarts ladder in this way, but pigs and other animals are much more intelligent in other areas compared to humans, such as smell. In fact, their little snouts are more than 2,000 times more sensitive than a human nose. Pigs also seem to have their own language and use 20 unique sounds to communicate with each other. They have different tones of grunts and squeals. They also use mirrors to find hidden food, which means they can understand reflections. And not only that, but they may be as self-aware as apes and dolphins. And did you know that pigs can play video games? A study conducted at Penn State revealed that pigs were the second best animal behind humans at playing certain simple video games. And of course, food was used as a reward, so you know those pigs were not going to be messing around. The study had pigs push a joystick around with their snout to move a ball into the goal on the screen. The interesting thing is that this basic video game was actually originally designed to be played by chimps, but pigs demonstrated better focus and learned faster than their ape counterparts. I always thought that chimps were pretty up there with the animal intelligence ranking, so to see pigs outperform these brainy apes really surprised me. Go pigs! But pigs don't just win on video game screens. They were also a part of strategies in a real-life war. You know Alexander the Great, the guy that was regarded by most as one of the greatest military minds? He used domesticated pigs in battle against India in 326 BC. Armored Indian elephants led the Indian cavalry on the opposite side. For those that don't know, elephants are pretty darn huge. They are the biggest land mammals on Earth and average at around 15,000 pounds. That's 6,800 kilograms. That's heavier than a school bus. The average human male weighs around 180 pounds, that's around 82 kilograms. About 90 of those people can be seated in a school bus, just to put that into perspective. I've been up close and personal with elephants a few times, and I can tell you, their size alone would make them pretty intimidating on the front lines. But as it turns out, this Goliath mammal was no match for pigs on the battlefield. Alexander is said to have unleashed 1,000 pigs on the elephants at the Battle of the Hydaspes River. Their high squeals reportedly freaked out the elephants, who proceeded to run away in fear. So this, of course, led to a victory for Alexander, and it seems like they call him great for a reason, all thanks to our curly-tailed warriors. You may be surprised to find out that this was not the first time pigs were recorded being used in a battle against elephants. In the Battle of Heraclea in 2440 BC, the Greek king Pyrrhus bought 20 elephants to intimidate the Romans on the battlefield. They towered over the army and were often clad in armor, which sounds terrifying. 
these giant elephants that were just decked out in armor proved to be a successful strategy, dominating the Romans, until the Romans discovered their piggy secret weapon. Though I have to warn you, this story does unfortunately take a tragic turn because to ensure that the pigs successfully spooked the elephants with their high-pitched squeals, they were said to have been covered in tar and flammable substances and then lit on fire. The flaming pigs did the trick, apparently, confusing the terrifying elephants who ended up trampling their own soldiers to death. Yikes. But hey, on a more heartwarming side note, because elephants and pigs seemed to square off quite a bit on the battlefield, elephant trainers would raise their future war elephants with piglets to get them accustomed to the swine's wines. Though the end goal was to be trained for battle, I can't help but have a cute picture of baby elephants and piggies playing together in peace. Speaking of war and animal artillery, piglets are one of the only mammals born with weapons. They are brought into this world with teeth, two pairs of canines and two pairs of incisors, top and bottom, perfect to side-bite their rivals, which turns out to not be elephants, but their own siblings. When it comes to feeding time, there is some major competition for their mother's nips. Teats near the mother's head work better and supply more milk. Stronger piglets end up winning the fight to those. Runts, on the other hand, end up getting the end, the not-so-milky nips near the hindquarters. So it seems that piggies are all about eating, starting from birth, and they just don't stop, right? Wrong. Male boars will actually stop eating for the most part right around mating time. Thankfully, they only mate once a year, so this fasting period isn't too frequent, but it does seem odd that males will stop eating around the time they want to be big and strong to impress potential mates. And don't they need energy for all that, you know, wink wink? They also develop a thick cartilage layer of tissue on their backs and shoulders, which helps because males compete and fight for females. If you thought piglet teeth were vicious, adult boar teeth are on a whole new level, especially in a species called babarusa, aka deer pigs, with these crazy-looking chompers. And when I say crazy, these things are so gnarly. For starters, the socket that the upper canine grows out of in a male's jaw is reversed, so instead of growing downward, their large canines point upwards. They grow through the mouth and pierce through the skull, and then curve back towards their head, sometimes even piercing the skull for a second time between the eyes. And yeah, this sounds incredibly painful, but apparently these tusks don't appear to cause any pain to them at all. But honestly, when I'm looking at a picture of these Babarusa pigs, I'm thinking, what the heck, evolution? <laughs> the wild boar uses their teeth to hunt for prey, mark their territory, and fight for other competing males during mating season. Side note, a male boar will mark his territory by standing up on its hind legs and slicing a mark in a tree. The really cool thing about this is that the mark acts kind of like how parents mark their kids' growth on a door frame. The boar is like, hey, I'm this tall. Don't mess with me. <laughs> I wonder if other boars come by and are like, oh yeah? Well, I'm this much taller, so watch out. It sounds like a sibling rivalry to me. A boar's teeth on average are around 7 inches, that's 17.78 centimeters, but they can vary greatly between 5 and a little over 18 inches. So that's around 12.7 centimeters to 45.72 centimeters, so they can do a bit of damage if they're inspired. And inspired they do indeed get. 
I read an article from the journal Mammalia that shows just how aggressive wild boars can be. In Italy, hunting dogs kept being found dead, attacked by some wild animal. A lot of people suspected wolves, but can you guess who the culprits really were? That's right, pigs. Italy isn't the only place facing an invasion of wild boar. In Barcelona, wild boar reside in Calcerola National Park, bordering the city. And it turns out they're not too shy when it comes to humans, because at night the wild boars will descend upon the city in search of discarded cannolis, pizza crusts, and other touristy delectables. I can say that when I was in Spain, I was looking for the same thing. But the problem is, with 1.5 million residents and tens of millions of tourists visiting Barcelona each year, all that trash and leftover food means these boars get in heaps of trouble. In 2016, police received over a thousand calls on wild boar shenanigans alone. These escapades ranged from holding up traffic, attacking dogs, rooting up gardens and parks, chomping on all that delicious garbage, and even running into cars. But if you thought that this was only a problem in Italy and Spain, think again. Pigs have proven to be quite a successful and rambunctious species when introduced to new habitats. Germany, France, Australia, Canada, and many areas in America such as Texas, Florida, and California also face wild pig invasions. And it's because of all this that they have a bad boy reputation. They're on the World Conservation Union's most invasive species list. And these wild boar cause a hefty sum in damages every year. America itself faces over 1.5 billion in agricultural damages annually. Feral pigs can be found wreaking havoc on 45 of the 50 states. Experts have estimated that there are around 6 to 8 million pigs in America alone. No urban city, golf course, or farmland is safe, it seems. But how did this extreme unbalance begin? I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that humans may have had a fair share to do with it. Wild boar originated in Southeast Asia and began colonizing Europe around 5 million years ago. So pigs have been around for quite a bit. At the time, people loved them for their meat because piggies are delicious. But hunting, along with deforestation and agriculture, nearly drove them to extinction, with only a few groups remaining in Tuscany, southern Italy, and the Alps. That is, until World War II, when Italy's economy boomed and many people moved to cities. The forest started healing, bringing back wildlife areas around Italy and throughout Europe, wildlife which included pigs. Wild boar were thriving during this time. Their population was really booming, not only because the forest was back, but their main predator had dwindled in numbers. You know the story, The Three Little Pigs, where the wolf would try to hunt each pig down by blowing down its house? Well, that story is actually based in fact, not because pigs make houses out of bricks and hay or twigs. And the wolf definitely played its part in dwindling down the numbers of the wild boar population and without them, the wild boar really had nothing to hold back their ever-growing numbers, and soon they would have piggy domination. Just kidding. Kind of. 
The gray wolf is what we commonly refer to as a keystone species. At the time, humans weren't really up to speed on that fact. A keystone species is a species that is the keystone or the supporter of all the other wildlife and species around them. So they're super important in keeping the balance of the animal kingdom. And without them, things kind of start to get topsy-turvy. There's a lot of pigs and not a lot of everything else because the pigs are eating it all up. And guess what? There's not much eating the pigs, or at least fast enough at the time, because even with the human's love of ham and bacon, the pig population just kept on growing. So what happened to all the gray wolves? They didn't just disappear out of nowhere. So what happened was that humans killed wolves. They would persecute them whenever they could for attacking their livestock. This persecution was so successful that in Germany, wolves were completely wiped out by the 19th century. And you know, I'll bet probably with the help of the German Grimm fairy tale, Little Red Riding Hood, and its depiction of the granny-eating big-toothed meanie. So with the wolf's absence, Europe's ecosystem went through some drastic changes. No wolves, now meant no boar, would be gobbled up just like Little Red Riding Hood's granny. And this meant more boar many more boar. Say that five times fast. And they rapidly, obviously, took advantage. Italian hunting groups also played a part in the wild boar invasion, convincing the government to stock uninhabited forests with the porkers. I guess they were a fun hunting game. They also did a little populating of their own by releasing wild boar in desired locations. But alas, this practice wasn't only reserved for Europe. Wild boar were also released in America for sport hunting, though they were first released in the 1500s by explorers and settlers for sources of food. Combine that with escaped domestic pigs, and we can see why we are here now, with pigs slowly taking over the world. Ha ha ha. (laughs) To add to that, urbanization squeezed the wild boar's habitat closer and closer to our cities— And because those insatiable little porkers are able to get into our unsecured trash cans and are fed by people who can't refuse a cute face, there is no shortage of food supply. So yes, the world is now full of snout-nosed, curly-tailed cuties. Wild or feral pigs can be found on every continent except Frantarctica. My guess is that penguins are just some tough competition. They also are on otherwise uninhabited islands. Now you know I could not go through this episode without mentioning the swimming pigs of the Bahamas. If you've managed to not hear about these island-residing pigs, then you probably don't own social media because tourists and social media influencers are all over the major K island in the Bahamas, like sprinkles on a cupcake. And yes, even though I know it's an influencer touristy thing, you can bet your bottom dollar I would go in a heartbeat. With its photogenic aqua water, white sand beaches, and some dang cute hog residents, these pigs are considered feral because they aren't pets or a part of any farm. In fact, people don't know exactly how the swimming pigs got to this beautiful Bahama beach in the first place. Some guess that the pigs swam to the island after a shipwreck, which isn't an insane idea because anyone who has watched a video of the Bahama swimming pigs can see pigs are excellent swimmers and actually really enjoy it quite a bit. It's said that even farm-raised pigs have a good swimming instinct. It's kind of like when you hold your dog above water. They start paddling their cute little legs. It's just in their blood, baby. They're meant to swim. To prove that a pig can indeed swim far distances to potential islands, one wild boar was documented to have swum all the way from France to Alberni in the Channel Islands. 
That's a seven mile or 11 kilometer swim. That's over 225 Olympic sized swimming pools. That pig is an athlete. Though a pig bravely roughing the ocean to seek refuge on a tropical oasis is a good children's story tale, there are other theories to how the pigs inhabited Major K. Some say that the pigs were left on the island by sailors who intended to come back and cook them later, which was indeed a common tactic for those exploring the New World. Long, treacherous sea journeys meant that boats needed restocking when traveling to and from Europe. You can think of these islands as kind of like a grocery store run for a barbecue, and those journeying the open sea would leave livestock on foreign shores, then come back for them on future voyages. And as it turns out, pigs proved to be quite fit for island life, so they could survive and even thrive on these shores. Plus, they provided much protein, so they were a popular choice for this kind of island meat storage plan. If this was how the Bahama swimming pigs got to their island paradise, I'm personally glad they didn't become bacon and get to live their lives swimming in the sun along some sexy bikini babes. <laughs> and with all those people visiting them, there's bound to be some swimming safety issues, in which case pigs are the perfect lifeguards because pigs have been known to save people from drowning. Remember I said pigs are good swimmers? Remember I said they can swim through all those Olympic-sized swimming pools? One documented case takes place in Houston, where a pig named Priscilla saved a mentally disabled boy from drowning when he had ventured too far offshore. When the boy started going under the water, unable to swim, Priscilla swam out enough for the boy to grab onto her leash. She then swam them both back to safety. But it's not just drowning where pigs have proven to be lifesavers. I've collected a few other piggy hero stories I want to share with you, starting with Lulu. Now, this piggy guardian angel played dead to save her owner Joan's life. One day, Joan was home alone with Lulu when she suffered a heart attack. She tried to call for help, but no one could hear her. Lulu, I'm guessing sensing her owner's distress, broke out of her fenced-in yard, which left her all cut up and bleeding. She then proceeded to run out into the street, where she, and I find this to be absolutely insane, played dead and laid out in front of traffic, a 150-pound pig laying in the road. Later in an interview, Jones said that Lulu would often play dead piggy with the mailman and kids on the street, and they would give her little treats for it, so she knew it got her attention, and thankfully, it worked. The trick eventually got her noticed by a kind driver who stopped to check if she was okay. Seeing that the pig was bleeding and obviously in distress, he went to Joan's house, knocked on the door, and yelled out to say that this pig needs help. Joan heard him and was able to yell back to call for 911. He called an ambulance who whisked her away to get immediate open-heart surgery. Joan's surgeon was reported saying that if just 15 minutes more had passed, Joan would have been dead. Lulu the pig was considered a hero and has made many TV guest star appearances for her brave efforts. But if you think I'm done talking about piggy heroes, you're wrong, because there are so many stories highlighting heroic piggy deeds, including one about a four-month-old pig named Prue, who rescued her owner, Dee Jones, by pulling her out of a bog when she had become stuck. One day, Prue and Dee were on a walk in their West Wales farm, and then Dee felt herself sinking inside of a bog, kind of like quicksand when you can't get out because your legs are stuck, so she needed help. She thought quickly and wrapped a rope around her piggy Prue and said, in your bed. She would often use this command to get Prue to go to bed, so she knew it was something she was familiar with. 
The command worked, and Prue immediately dug in her little hooves and pulled Dee to safety. And after all that hard work rescuing her owner, Prue got a lovely reward of four bananas, which I'm guessing was probably her favorite. Okay, so this is the last story I have for you on pigs who save their owner's bacon, though I could probably fill a whole episode with stories like this. This piggy hero story comes from the New York Post, starring a 500-pound pig named Hamilton. It takes place in New Jersey, where Hamilton helped his owner, Gilbert Anea, escape an apartment fire. So Hamilton reportedly gave Gilbert more time to escape the blaze by closing a door in the garage that slowed the fire's spread. This pig Hamilton had been bred to open and close the door because they're little smarties and they can do tricks like that, so instead of running away in fear, he instinctively blocked off the flames temporarily. The fire department said that closing the door gave the pig and his owner another 15 to 20 minutes to escape, which could have been the difference between life and death. 15 to 20 minutes is a lot when you're trying to run away in slow motion from a fire as it explodes behind you. I'm just imagining that's how it went down. On a side note, something funny I found out about this story was that Hamilton didn't wait around for Gilbert to wake up. He had seen the fire, closed the door like, nope, and exited stage left on his own and was found later. So he saved his owner's life, or did he just save his own? The verdict is still out there, but either way, he did help out. So you know what? He deserves a treat as well. Bananas for everybody. And those are just a few piggy hero stories. There are loads of them out there on the interwebs. Go check them out. I find it's always difficult to tell stories of animals like this without anthropomorphizing them, which means to give animals like these pigs very human-like characteristics and intentions. But it's also hard to not believe that Lulu and these other pigs of the hour wanted to rescue their beloved owners and even put themselves at risk to do so, not including Hamilton, maybe. Another way pigs may save lives is straight from their heart, literally, because people are using pig hearts in place of human ones for organ transplants. When I first read this story, I was like, what? You can use other animals' body parts in place of human body parts? But it turns out the truth is obviously way more complicated than that. These pig hearts come from genetically modified pigs whose genes have been altered so they can have their hearts safely transplanted to humans. This may sound like the beginning of a cheesy sci-fi horror flick where pigs spliced with human DNA escape from a lab and wreak havoc on mankind, or hamkind. <laughs> but the kind of scary thing is that this Frankenstein surgery is actually already being attempted. In January of 2022, the first ever genetically modified pig heart transplant took place. The 57-year-old patient had a terminal heart disease, and the transplant was seen as his last hope. Sadly, he only lived for 61 days with the pig-slash-human heart, but it was considered a huge leap in xenotransplantation, which is basically organ transplants from non-human animals. And look, I honestly can't say much about how I feel about this endeavor. On one hand, it seems great to save human lives with new technologies. On the other, haven't we put pigs through enough already? It just reminds me of that Indiana Jones scene in the Temple of Doom where the guy with the skull hat rips out another guy's heart and it's still beating. Anyway, let's talk about another pig body part, the schnoz. More specifically, their keen sense of smell. But before I get into all of that, I have to first talk about truffles. In 2014, the world's largest truffle was flown to New York. 
This guy was a whopping two kilos, aka around 4.4 pounds. And this big hunk of truffle did not just fly on its own. It was accompanied by a security guard. And for good reason, because this chunky truffle was sold at an auction for 61,250 smackaroos, dollaroos, whatever. It was expensive. It was a lot of money for a truffle. An average truffle mushroom sells for around $4,000 per pound or $8,000 a kilogram. So pound for pound, a truffle is one of the most expensive foods in the world. So this begs the question, what's the big deal with truffles and why are they so costly? And maybe more importantly, should I get into this truffle business? For starters, truffles are extremely difficult to cultivate, if not impossible. This is because truffles grow on the roots of specific host trees. Specific as in they won't emerge from just any tree, only certain types such as oak, beech, hazel, and pine. Once introduced, the truffle fungus and tree will over time establish a beautiful relationship known as mycorrhizal symbiosis, where both the fungus and the tree benefit from each other. Because this symbiotic coupling is difficult to replicate on a farm, truffles are usually sourced from the wild, where they grow nearly a meter underground. Finding these hidden treasures has proven to be much too difficult for us mere mortals alone. A pig snout is 2,000 times more sensitive than a human nose. So we use their impressive sniffing out abilities to bring home the bacon, as they say. And we have been for centuries. The use of pigs to seek out truffles has been said to date as far back as the Roman Empire. But why were pigs favored for this task? Pigs have over 1,000 olfactory receptor genes in their genome alone. That's way more than dogs who have only 811. Not to knock down dogs' sense of smell because that's still a lot compared to humans who only have 400. And it's these olfactory receptors that allow pigs to detect a much wider variety of smells. Especially female pigs seem to have a super ability to hunt out for truffles specifically. But why? You know, it may be because sows think this lumpy fungus smells sexy. Eyebrows, eyebrows. <laughs> okay, let me explain. Truffles contain a pheromone called androstenol. This is a musky-smelling steroid that male boars secrete in their saliva. When lady pigs get a whiff of this hormone, they get all hot and bothered, aka in the mood for mating. It's even powerful enough to advance the onset of puberty in young female pigs who smell it. It's kind of like the piggy equivalent to Axe body spray. I know you ladies out there smelt that when you were in gym class, and you're like, wowza, that's a man. <laughs> it's also this hormone that makes male pigs not taste too nice. The androstenol that the male boars produce leaves them with an offensive smell or taste when they're butchered for food. Some people even say that this aroma is even fecal in nature. Around 20% of boars get this boar taint when they hit puberty, and it accumulates in their fat. So for pig farmers, that's 20% of their product, which is no bueno for their pockets. So to avoid this, male pigs are often castrated as piglets, which inhibits them from producing this lady magnet hormone, thus making them more delicious. Can you imagine smelling that much like sexy time? It's literally tainting you down to your meat. So it may not attract us, but for a while, a lot of people thought that adrosinol was the key to what attracted pigs to truffles. There was a study in 1990 that attempted to dampen this romantic theory. Its results instead pointed to another compound called 
dismethyl sulfide, which also doesn't really sound like it smells that good. And they concluded that that was the odor that attracted the pigs. But seeing that truffles contain nearly twice as much adrosinol as the boar's plasma does lead me to prefer the sexy allure theory. Another interesting side fact for you, androstenol is actually also found in human male sweat glands, so maybe that's why we like truffle fries so much. My obvious attraction to hormonal fried potatoes aside, another theory as to why pigs specifically are drawn to truffles is that truffles want to be eaten by them. The theory goes that truffle mushrooms strategically mimic the male boar pheromone smell so it could be eaten on purpose— This way, their spores get a free ride and spread around when the pig eventually excretes the spore-laden doo-doo. This, in turn, leads to more trees being introduced to their symbiotic truffle fungus counterparts. Who knew that the pig was such a matchmaker? What makes this even more a match made in heaven is that pigs also have natural rooting abilities, so digging amongst roots to get to that tasty treat is in their blood— Unfortunately, they may be too good at it because this is also the reason why using pigs for truffle hunting has been banned in Italy since 1985. And this is due to the fact that all that rummaging amongst the tree roots can do some damage to the mycelia of the truffle, which are those delicate fungal threads that network around the tree roots and soil. And this can cause a reduction in the production rate of truffles for a number of years. That and the fact that a pig may bite off a finger when a human truffle hunter is trying to snatch its hard-earned prize may be why dogs are more commonly used today. So, say you're lucky enough to find yourself a precious, expensive lump of truffle and then sell it for a hefty sum at an auction. You may want a place to put all of that cash, right? May I recommend a piggy bank? Haha. <laughs> Okay, it's a lame joke, but it is the best segue to what I want to talk about next, the history of the piggy bank. While I was at the Schwein Museum in Stuttgart, I was drawn to a room with a giant glass shelved case spread on literally every inch of wall space, so much so that it looked like I was in a glass case myself, stock full of piggy banks. It was a beautiful sounder of pigs. (laughs) Side note, a group of pigs is in fact called a sounder, aka a drove or a drift. In my piggy glass case of emotion, wedged between a pair of porcelain porkers was a plaque laying out the history of our snouted money protectors. I found it to be quite interesting and had to include it in this episode. So according to the piggy bank room plaque, plus a bit of my own research, the invention of the piggy bank goes all the way back to over 600 years ago. They were first discovered in Indonesia in the 15th century, and because metal was a hot commodity, people would often use pots to store their extra change. These pots were made with an affordable clay originally pronounced pug. So why don't we have chubby, wrinkly dog pug banks instead of piggy ones like we have today? Pug clay is spelled P-Y-G-G, and at the time, Saxon vowels had very different sounds to them than they have today— the pronunciation of Y eventually switched from a uh to an I sound, hence sounding like pig, not pug. It's so crazy to think how language has evolved with our history and affected so many things. Anyway, the word association led English potters to shape their pots into little pigs for a bit of humor, and over the next few hundred years, the pig clay that led to the name in the first place was slowly forgotten, but the pot shape stuck, and that's why we have piggy banks today. So what will you do with all that truffle money in your piggy bank? Well, maybe you'll want to buy some bacon. 
Alas, the curse of the Segway continues, I'm afraid. Okay, so let's talk about eating pigs. Pigs were first domesticated in 8,500 BC. They were indigenous to the Middle East around 10,000 years ago. And 5,000 years ago, they first stepped foot in Europe. Pigs were one of the first animals to be artificially bred or domesticated. This and the fact that they are so dang delicious has led to pigs being the most eaten farm animal on Earth. A little side fact, as of 2021, there were officially more pigs than humans in Denmark. In Denmark, there are around 13 million pigs on farms. That beats the Denmark population of humans, which is just shy of 6 million. So don't tell the pigs that, or they might mutiny. It's not much of a surprise that a lot of pigs reside in Denmark, however. They do in fact have one of the leading pig industries in the world. But with that being said, which countries eat the most pork? The U.S. alone produces 12,000 metric tons of pork in 2022. That's over 60 blue whales of the stuff. The European Union almost doubles that number with 23,000 metric tons of pork produced. And the top pig consumer in the world? China, whose pork consumption is more than the U.S. and the European Union combined, producing 51,000 metric tons of oinking meat. In all, the world butchers around 1.4 billion pigs per year to feed this demand. On a side note, I'm guessing these numbers partially have to do with the popularity of bacon that Oscar Mayer put on the map when they started selling pre-sliced packages of the good stuff in 1924. Today, producing over 5 billion, that's billion with a B, B for bacon, sales per year. Do you want to hear an even crazier statistic? Annually, per capita consumption of the oily, crispy goodness is around 18 pounds per person. I do not know who's eating 18 pounds of bacon per year. I mean, I honestly love bacon just as much as the next person, but even living in Germany where there's pork aplenty, I do not eat that much bacon, although I do love myself a bacon-wrapped date. They're just so sweet and salty. For a while, I actually didn't eat meat, and that was one of the things I missed making the most. Speaking of not eating meat and not eating pork, despite these insanely high numbers of people who do eat pork, there are also billions of people who won't eat pork. Strangely enough, it's in the Middle East where pigs had been consumed since the beginning of agriculture that has many individuals, such as the Islamic and Jewish communities, keeping pork strictly off the menu. There's even a large percentage of people who won't even come in contact with the animal because of religious pork prohibitions. Ancient texts like the Torah say that pigs should not be eaten because, unlike cows, they don't chew their cud. Also, we can't forget about the 1.5 billion vegetarians in the world today. On a side note, some people are vegetarian because they have no choice. They either have no access to meat or it's just too dang expensive. Aside from people who can't access meat, there are around 75 million people worldwide that see it as a lifestyle choice. I have to say, I've had a bit of experience with this choice. I was a vegetarian a few years back, and I love pigs alive. But currently, I have gone back to eating meat for a number of reasons, one of them being that in Germany, where I live, pork is almost unavoidable, and it's in a plethora of traditional dishes here. And although I don't really eat that much pork— I do partake just to experience in the culture of everything Germany has to offer. And Germany loves their pigs and pork. 
hence the pig museum that serves pork hot dogs in the beer garden after completing the museum tour. Regardless, if you eat meat or not, I'll bet with this next story, you may be hesitant to consume even bacon yourself. Because the pig toilet. I want to warn you that after researching this next bit, I was completely disturbed, but I couldn't not add it in mostly due to the fact that this particular practice has played a huge role in the domestication of pigs. So let's just get it over with. Again, let me say the pig toilet. And yes, it is terrifyingly exactly what it sounds like. A pigsty latrine, as it commonly was called, is a type of outhouse consisting of a toilet mounted over a pigsty. Human uses toilet, pig eats feces. The behavior of eating duty is known as caprophagy, a word I'm sure you may never have to use for hopefully ever, but there you go. So I can understand how a lot of pigs got a bad rap back in the day and can be seen as filthy animals. Coming across a porto pig potty doesn't exactly make me want to run to the closest hot dog stand. Although this is very disturbing, I did come across a study in the National Library of Medicine that did a controlled study on caprophagy, but don't worry, these piggies kept it in the family because newly born piglets will eat their mother's feces. In the study, researchers compared piglets who were allowed to partake in this behavior with a controlled group who had no access to this maternal poo, and the results were shocking to say the least. Piglets who consumed the poo early in life exhibited better performance, aka the offspring were healthier and there was a higher rate of survival in the piglets. This could be due, due to the fact that the young piglets get introduced to the mother's microbiome, which is key to their gut health. Side fact, you may think this is gross, but humans consume gut replenishing doo-doo too. Doctors often prescribe poo pills with a healthy dose of microbiomes to improve their patient's gut health. So it turns out we all depend on living gut organisms. We do the doo-doo too, so no judging the baby pig for eating poo. I'm going to make that something I put on a t-shirt. <laughs> but let's get back to having pigs on bathroom duty. No, don't do it. No, sorry. I'm going to stay on this topic for a little bit longer. To me, this practice seems to dangerously border on the edge of animal cruelty, but it was quite common in a number of places, including rural China, and was even considered an ancient custom during the Han Dynasty in 206 BC to AD 220. But it wasn't only China that took part in this pig potty. Okinawa, Japan, India, and South Korea also had their version of the swine latrine. It has since lost popularity for obvious reasons— and probably due to the fact that we eat pigs. And there's that one saying that goes, don't eat where you insert naughty word for excrement here. <laughs> pigs have a very similar digestive system to humans, and like us are able to eat a great number of things, not at all suggesting that humans should eat doo-doo, please don't, unless in pill form, maybe. But just like us, they can also consume fruit, vegetables, fungi, insects, and grain, competition for food could be one of the reasons why billions of people, especially in certain religions and cultures, have built practices that flat-out ban eating pork. And okay, maybe the pig potty toilet didn't help either. Unlike other farm animals like cows and sheep, pigs don't eat grass. A cow that feeds almost exclusively on grass supplies protein while simultaneously not eating our precious food supply. That's a win-win. Chickens eat grain too, but the grain versus protein ratio is a bit more efficient than pigs. 
Raising a pig to get big enough for eating takes a lot of grain, grain that people could be using to make bread and other more valuable food items. So it's easy to see why some cultures may only want to eat pork when pigs fly. And speaking of pigs that can get high, there's a small part of Asia that gets their pigs very high by feeding them cannabis plants. Bhutan is a small, isolated country wedged between India and China, so isolated that television has only been legalized there since 1999. I was a baby when TV became legal there. Bhutan also isn't a huge fan of tourists and charges visitors $300 a day to visit. I mean, I want to visit Bhutan bad, but not that bad. Now, there is a lot of native cannabis that grows naturally in the area, and with their strict weed laws, it's easy to see why they don't want foreign influences. Most other Himalayan countries use their naturally grown cannabis plants quite freely, but it wasn't until the youths of Bhutan started watching TV that they realized, hey, you know the stuff we feed our pigs every day? You can use that to get high. <laughs> and not only that, people around the world use cannabis for recreational use, and medical use. Regardless, if the people of this secluded country choose to partake or not is yet to be determined, but in the meantime, pigs gorging themselves on the ganja are said to get plenty fat thanks to the munchies, which, if you could imagine an animal as insatiable as the pig getting the munchies, that sounds pretty dang impressive. Like a pig in a blanket, I must sadly wrap up this episode for the week of Little Curiosities. Please let me know if you liked this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Little Curiosities if you haven't already, so you don't miss a single episode. How dare you if you have not? <laughs> but really, all your help with supporting the show means so much in its quest to reach more minds. You can also help out by sharing this episode with anyone you think would find it interesting. Putting this podcast together is so fun for me, especially when you all get involved on my stories on my Instagram. I do put up little snippets of hints of what the next episode topic is going to be about. And I ask all of you if you have any questions or comments that you want to contribute. And I love incorporating your voice into my episodes. You can find those stories on my Instagram at It's Kendall Long. I can't wait till next week. Until then, ciao. Little Curiosities with Kendall Long is a Q-Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse and Alexa Gabrielle Ramirez. Edited by Ben Milchev. Music by Kendall Long and Will Tendy. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Gallion, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Gallion on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Whether you're in a relationship, single, or recently heartbroken, you could be navigating some tough stuff. And it really can be challenging to do this on your own. We all need help when it comes to our relationships, very specifically, our love lives. I'm Jillian, and each week on my podcast, Jillian on Love, I share skills on how to strengthen our relationships, how to build a stronger sense of self, and how to heal heartbreak and choose better partners. Learn how to start making change today and search for Jillian on Love 
wherever you're listening now.